I love that line that uh, is repeated over and over again in that song where it says, I run to the Father. And the reason I love that line is because that's, that's what we're about here as a church. We're about focusing on God. We're about focusing on those things that are important. And that is exactly what this Reset series that we're doing right now is all about. We're this weekend in our second weekend of this series called Reset. And the premise behind this series is something that we believe very strongly here at this church. And that is that we believe that God has a joy-filled, fulfilled, satisfied life that he wants each of us to live. We, we believe very strongly in what Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 10, when he says, I have come that they, they referring to us, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. And we believe that God wants us to live a joy-filled, fulfilled, satisfied life, but we don't believe that sort of life just happens. We believe that sort of life happens when we make conscious decisions to order our life according to this book, according to God's word. And so what we're doing in this series is we're taking a look at some of the major areas of our life and we're, we're trying to figure out how we can press the reset button on those areas so that we can do them according to what God's word says. So if you were here last week, you heard Matthew talk on the subject of really resetting our priorities, resetting our time. He talked about the importance of setting aside at least 15 minutes a day to spend in God's word and to pray. This week, what I wanna talk about is I wanna talk about resetting our attitude. Today, I wanna to talk about resetting our perspective. Specifically, I wanna talk about resetting the perspective that we take towards our everyday, ordinary lives. And in order to do that, we're gonna look at a passage that I wanna read ahead of time to you just to set the stage for what we're gonna look at today. So we'll have these words on the screen. I'll give you a second to turn to it in just a moment. But the passage is in Colossians chapter three, starting in verse 17. And this is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, and whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let me jump down to verse 23 here. He says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is, Paul says, the Lord Christ that you are serving. And today we're gonna to unpack that and see what that means for our lives. Would you do me a favor now? Would you bow your heads in a word of prayer? as we get ready for this message. So Father God, we just come before you, Lord, and we thank you for the opportunity that a new year provides us, Father, uh, just to look at things with a fresh perspective, to press the reset button of our lives, as you will, if you will, <coughs> and consider what really matters most and how we can live our lives in a way that just honors you in everything that we do. And Father, as we take a look at this really important subject today, Father, um, I pray that today you would allow your word to speak, God. I pray that your message that you want to get across is, is, is what I speak here today. And Father, I just pray for just a sense of your truth, your spirit, your presence in this room as we understand more fully um, who you have called each one of us to be. And so, Father, we just give this time over to you, and we ask that you be pleased in and through it. And we ask this in your son's name. Amen. Well, you can go ahead and grab your Bibles right now, <coughs> and you'll need to excuse me, I'm kind of getting over the tail end of a cough here, and Colossians chapter 3 is where you can turn to, Colossians chapter 3, and as you find your place in Colossians chapter 3, uh, as I was working on this message this past week, I was thinking, you know, I know how much all of you love at this church when I have those messages where I ask you to repeat after me, right? Isn't that the favorite thing that I do here at this church? I don't want your honest answer. I want you to humor me. Isn't that the favorite thing that I do here at this church? Yes. 
Thank you. So I thought as we begin 2020, there's no way that I can begin 2020 without having one of those little statements. And so we're going to put this statement on the screen, and I'm going to ask you to repeat after me a line at a time. And just remember, repeat after me, what does that mean? That means don't say it with me. That means say it after me, okay? So I want you to repeat after me. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. If we want all Jesus has for us, We need to let Jesus have all of us. Okay, let's do it again this time with just a little bit of enthusiasm, okay? Say it like you believe it. Ready? If we want all Jesus has for us, we need to let Jesus have all of us. Today, as we look at this subject of resetting our perspective, we're going to see what that means for us. As I was working on this message this past weekend, I took a little bit of a trip down memory lane, and I actually thought back to the second message I ever gave in this church in the role that I'm in right now. This is about seven and a half years ago. And in that second message I ever gave in this church, I actually began that message by holding up a plate, not unlike the plate that I have right here. And this is one of those, what's called a divided plate. Hopefully you can see on the screen, but this is one of those plates that's divided into three sections, into three compartments. And you see these plates a lot at summer barbecues and picnics and the like. And the genius of a plate like this, if you can call a plate genius, the genius of a plate like this is it allows you to have three very different types of food and none of these foods interact with each other, right? None of these foods inter uh, overlap with each other. So you can have a hamburger, you can have potato salad, you can have coleslaw, whatever it may be, and each food stays in its own individual compartment. And that is the beauty of a plate like this. And what I said, the point that I was making in this, in this message seven and a half years ago, is I said something like this. I said, although a divided plate is a great thing to have at a summer barbecue or a picnic, I said, a divided life is not a great thing to have in the kingdom of God. Although a divided plate is a great thing to have at a barbecue, a divided life is not a great thing to have for a Christian. And what I mean by that is this, you know, I, I see this plate right here, I see it as sort of a picture of how some people live their lives. I, I see it as a picture of how some people live out their faith. You see, I think it is fairly common for some people that when they think about their faith, when they think about Jesus, what they do is they really only think about Jesus in, in just one aspect of their lives. They, they end up confining their faith, they end up confining Jesus just to one corner of their lives. Let's say this corner up here. And they really begin to feel as though, you know, Jesus only cares about, Jesus is only interested in, Jesus is only invested in certain things that we do in this life. For example, when we go to church, or if you're in a life group, or, or if you took Matthew up on his challenge last week to spend 15 minutes a day in Bible reading or in prayer. Obviously, Jesus is involved in those times. Obviously, Jesus cares about those times. But some people can run the risk of thinking that when they leave this building on Sunday morning, or when you say amen at the end of your daily prayer, that really what you do is you sort of leave your faith behind. You leave Jesus behind. And as you go about the other activities of your week, as you do the other things in your day, some people can begin to think that Jesus doesn't really care about, Jesus isn't really involved in, Jesus doesn't really want a say in those other times. Uh, this is a view, this is a perspective that I think it's pretty obvious that Ray Kroc, the former CEO of McDonald's had, Ray Kroc is really the one who is credited with making McDonald's the company that it is today. 
And he once famously said this. In fact, I quoted this in this message seven and a half years ago. He said this once. He said, I believe in God, family, and McDonald's. And in the office, he said, that order is reversed. I believe in God, family, and McDonald's. And in the office, that order is reversed. And, and what is Ray doing there? He is living a divided life, right? He is confining his faith. He is confining God to one corner of his life. Oh, absolutely, I believe in God. Definitely, I do. But when I get into the office every day, God's not the most important thing. McDonald's is the most important thing. And he is living a divided life. And I think that is a fairly common perspective for some people, at least, to take. So if that's the case, what's the problem with that? Well, the problem with that is this book right here. <clears throat> the problem with that specifically is the passage that we're taking a look at today. This passage that we're taking a look at today that I read just a bit ago, it's a passage that was originally written by a man by the name of Paul. And Paul is a very famous individual in our Bibles because he was really one of the early leaders of the Christian movement. And this book of Colossians that we're into today is actually originally written as a letter. It was a letter that Paul wrote to a first century church that, and we're talking about perspective here today, that I think it's safe to say they were struggling with their perspective on things. Uh, very specifically, they were struggling with their perspective on Jesus. Their view of Jesus was far too limited. Their view of Jesus was far too small. They just did not understand how awesome Jesus is. And so Paul writes this letter in order to correct them in that. And in the first half of this letter, Colossians chapters 1 and 2, what Paul does is he really wants to make it clear to these, this church just how amazing Jesus is. And so in the first half of the letter, there are all these very grand statements that Paul makes about Jesus. For example, Paul tells us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, Colossians chapter 1 verse 15. He tells us that, that Jesus is the one for whom and through whom everything in this world is created, Colossians 1.16. And he actually tells us that Jesus is the one who actually holds everything in this universe together. Everything in this universe is, in some way, it's held together by Jesus, Colossians 1.17. And in the first half of this book, Paul just makes it clear to this church, Jesus is everything and, in a sense, Jesus is in everything. That's what Paul does in the first couple of chapters. But then when we get to the second half of Colossians, which is where our passage for today is, Paul shifts gears a little bit. And in the second half of Colossians, what Paul does is he gets very practical with us. And basically what Paul does is this. He says, okay, in light of the fact that Jesus is everything, in light of the fact that Jesus is in everything, what does that mean for how we live? What does that mean for how we go about our daily lives? That's what Paul talks about in the second half of Colossians. And pretty much everything that Paul says in the second half of Colossians, it actually culminates in one of the verses that we're looking at today. Look with me at Colossians 3.17. Okay, Colossians 3.17. We'll also have this verse on the screen. Look at what Paul says here. He says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let me read that again, okay? In light of the fact that Jesus is everything, in light of the fact that Jesus is in everything, how are we supposed to live? This is what Paul says. He says, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now here's what I wanna do, okay? Something a little bit different. I'm actually gonna leave that verse on the screen for a few seconds here. And I'm going to give you a few moments of silence. 
And what I want you to do is I want you to spend the next few seconds, the best way to, to understand the Bible is just to read passages over and over and over again. So I'm actually going to give you a few seconds here. I want you to just read this verse over and over and over again to yourself and do as best as you can to allow it to sink in. So for the next few seconds, either have your eyes on the screen or in your Bibles and just read this verse over a few times. And I'll give you time to do that right now. Okay, so hopefully you had a few t times, uh, opportunities there to, to read that over and over and over again. And as you did, hopefully you began to see just how all-encompassing of a verse this is. Just how sweeping of a verse this is. I mean, what Paul says here is just incredible. I mean, let's take a look at what Paul says here, okay? He begins this way. He says, and whatever you do, he says, and whatever you do. Now, let me ask you this question. What in your life is not included in the words, whatever you do? Okay, what in your life is not included in the words, whatever you do? Nothing, right? Everything in our life is included in the words, whatever you do. And so what that tells us is that in this verse, Paul's not just talking about the time that we spend in church. He's not just talking about the 15 minutes a day that we read our Bible and pray. Paul is talking about our entire lives. And whatever you do, Paul says. And then, as though we didn't understand what he means by that, you go on to the next phrase and Paul actually defines what he means by whatever you do. He says, and whatever you do, whether in word or in deed. Okay, so here Paul simplifies it for us, uh, us a little bit. When Paul says whatever you do, he's not really meaning everything that we do. He's just meaning everything we say, everything we think, and every action that we take. Oh wait, that is everything we do, isn't it? Paul is making it clear here. Everything that we do, whether in word or deed, whatever you do, everything you say, everything you think, every action you take, and here's the most important part, how are we supposed to do it? How are we supposed to do it? We see it in the next phrase. He says, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now that phrase requires a little bit of explanation. What does it mean to do something in the name of the Lord Jesus? Well, simply as I could think to phrase it, it means to do this. It means to do something for the sake of, for the reputation of, and in line with the character of Jesus. It means to do something for the sake of, for the reputation of, and in line with the character of Jesus. Some of you grew up in homes where you had parents. I think it's especially dads who say things like this where you had a dad who right before you took the sports field, they took you aside and they said to you this, they said, remember, you are representing the Ward family name out there. Hopefully they didn't say Ward family name for you, but they said your own last name, right? You are representing the Jones family name out there, so make us proud. That's what it means to do something in the name of someone. And so to do something for the name of Jesus means to do something for the sake of, for the reputation of, and in line with the character of Jesus. And according to this verse, friends, church, what are we supposed to do in the name of Jesus? Everything, right? Everything. Everything we do in this life, Paul says, is to be done for the sake of, for the reputation of, and in line with the character of Jesus. And what that shows us is it shows us that this verse is just cosmic in its implications. 
What Paul is telling us here is exactly what I said a moment ago. He's telling us that although a divided plate is a great thing to have at a barbecue, a divided life is not a great thing to have as a Christian. What Paul is telling us here is he is telling us that Jesus is not just interested in sticking in one corner of our life. What he's telling us is that Jesus wants to say in, Jesus wants to be involved in every area of our life. Jesus wants our whole life to be given over to him. By the way, you see how this Jesus right here is a little bit different than the other ones? Well, my son Lucas, he's now in kindergarten and he's learning to read and he's learning to write. And so he was with me as I was doing this and he wanted to be involved in this. So I let him write Jesus right there. Isn't that cool? I involve Jesus, I involve uh, Jesus, I involve Lucas in my work. And that's exactly what Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to involve him in every single area of our life. That's what Paul is saying here. But that raises a little bit of a dilemma, doesn't it? And it raises a little bit of a question. And this is really what my message is about here today. Because the question that that raises, okay, is, okay, so how do we do that? How do we do everything in the name of Jesus? How do we involve Jesus in every area of our lives? A couple years ago, I remember having a conversation with a man who used to attend this church. He's since uh, moved away to another state. Um, But his name is Jared. And when Jared and I had this conversation, he was in his early 40s, and, and Jared is someone who is very, very successful at what he does. He actually works in real estate. And at the time, he worked for a company where he would help put together land deals in order to buy land to build new housing development, sort of like what has just happened on Lakeview, just down the street a little bit. Jared worked at a company where he helped put together deals like that, and he was very, very successful at what he did. But in this conversation we had over breakfast a couple of years ago, he was sort of lamenting the state of his current job to me. And the reason why is because Jared is also someone who is really on fire for Jesus. Jesus has just got a hold of his heart. And because Jared is really on fire for Jesus, he wants to live out Colossians 3.17. He wants to include Jesus in every area of his life. He does not want to live a divided life. He wants to, to bring Jesus into every area of his life. But the problem is he doesn't know how to do that in his current job. I mean, as he said to me in this conversation, after all, all I do is build houses. How can I bring Jesus into that? And I think that's a fairly common attitude that some people have. In fact, I can imagine there are some of you right now, as you're sitting here, you're thinking, you know, Chris, it's really easy for you to talk about doing everything in the name of Jesus. I mean, you know, you're one of those people who get paid to be a Christian, right? You get paid to sit around all day and think about Jesus. But me, I have to do this Christianity thing for free, which means that... I have, to, I have to pay for my life somehow, and that's why I work at a restaurant, and that's why I'm in law, and that's why I'm in the financial world. I mean, how do I do everything in the name of Jesus in those places? How do I serve Jesus in those places? Well, honestly, there are some people who don't believe that you can. And that's why every year there are a fair number of people who, when they really do get on fire for Jesus, they end up leaving their jobs. They end up leaving their careers. They end up leaving where they are to become a pastor, to become a missionary, to volunteer at the church full time because they want to live out Colossians 3.17 and they believe that that's the only way to do that. Well, here's what I believe, okay? I don't believe that you need to do that. I don't. In fact, I'm going to say something that may sound really bold to you right now, but I believe it's true. I believe that the vast majority of us in this room 
I believe that we can live out Colossians 3.17 right where we are. I believe involving Jesus in every area of our life, I believe serving Jesus in every area of our life, doing things in the name of Jesus, I believe for the vast majority of us, it does not require a change in job, it does not require a change in career, it does not require a change in the majority of things that we do throughout the week. Instead, I believe it simply requires a change in attitude. It requires a change in perspective. I think by changing the perspective that we take to our everyday ordinary lives, we can live out Colossians 3.17. We can do everything for the sake of Jesus. And in the remaining time that I have in this message, I wanna show you how, okay? In the second half of this message here, I'm gonna get very practical with you. And what I've done this past week is I have come up with three things that I believe come from God's word. I have come up with three things that you can put into practice to involve Jesus in every single area of your life. And these are gonna unfold one at a time. And so if you wanna write these down, you can. The first thing is this. If we wanna involve Jesus in every area of our life, the first thing that we need to do is we need to connect what we are already doing to God's purposes. We need to connect what we are already doing to God's purposes. I know you guys, I know where Jared got this idea that he can't really serve Jesus in his current job. You know where he got this idea? He got it from me and he got it from my profession. You know, I have grown up in the church, which means by this point in my life, I have attended hundreds, if not over a thousand church services in my life. And I cannot tell you how many church services I have attended where a pastor has stood on a stage just like this one, and he's gotten in front of his church, and he has said something to his church like this. He has said, we, or usually he just uses you. He says, you all need to get serious about serving God. We believe the most important thing in the world is to serve Jesus, is to serve God, and so you all need to get serious about serving God. And so if you want to get serious about serving God in 2020, here's what you need to do. You need to go onto our website, church.church, and you need to click on the tab that says Serve Opportunities, and you need to volunteer for one of the ministries that we have at the church. And what the church has done over the years, what pastors have done over the years, is we have commandeered this word serve. And we have made you believe that unless you're serving at the church in some capacity, you're not really serving God. And we make you feel guilty if you're not volunteering at the church because then you're not serving God. Let me tell you something. Despite how popular that idea may be, and despite how much trouble I may get in this weekend for teaching anything other than that, I just don't believe that's what the Bible teaches. It's not what our passage teaches. Jump down to verse 23 of this passage. In verse 23 of this passage, Paul reiterates what he said in verse 17, only this time he applies what he said in verse 17 about doing everything in the name of Jesus. He applies it specifically to the area of our jobs, what we do from nine to five, our work. And this is what he says, verse 23. He says, whatever you do, he says, work at it with all your heart is working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ that you are serving. And there you see, verse 23 actually begins the same exact way that verse 17 began, right? Whatever you do. But as you can tell by the next word, here he's talking about our jobs. Here he's talking about work, what we do from nine to five. And I want to draw your attention to what Paul says at the end of verse 24 when he says this. He says, it is the Lord Christ that you are serving. It is the Lord Christ that you are serving. And here's what you need to understand about that phrase. As I said, this is in the context of talking about work and jobs and so on. And when Paul says to this church, it is the Lord Christ that you are serving, we need to understand Paul is not talking to a room full of pastors. Pastors. 
Paul is not talking to a room full of missionaries. Paul is not talking to a room full of people who have left their jobs to volunteer at the church full time. No. The context makes this very clear. As Paul says, it is the Lord Jesus you are serving. You know who Paul is talking to? He's talking to a bunch of farmers. He's talking to a group of people who make shoes for a living. He's talking to a group of people who sell produce on the side of the road. And what he's telling this group is he's saying, whether you realize it or not, in your nine to five, as you go about your normal lives, you are serving Jesus. You are serving Jesus. And what Paul is saying here is that it is absolutely possible to serve Jesus doing the everyday stuff of life. It's absolutely possible to serve Jesus away from the church. And the rest of the Bible reinforces this. How? Well, think about it this way, okay? Brothers and sisters, does God, does God just care about our spiritual needs or does God also care about our physical needs? Does God just care about our spiritual needs or does God also care about our physical needs? Any of you who have ever spent any time in the Bible, you know that's a ridiculous question to ask. Of course God cares about our physical needs. I think of the story in the Gospels. Well, Jesus stands in front of a crowd of people who are really hungry because he's been teaching them for several hours. And as Jesus stands in front of this crowd of people, what does Jesus do for this hungry crowd? Does he say, your hunger isn't important, don't worry about your hunger, I'm meeting your spiritual needs right now and that's all that matters? No, what does Jesus do? He feeds them, he gives them bread to eat, he gives them fish to eat, he takes care of their physical needs, similarly, over and over and over again, God in the Bible promises that he's going to meet our needs. But if you look at those verses, you see that God doesn't just promise he's going to meet our spiritual needs. He also promises to meet our physical needs. Matthew talked about one of these passages last week. God promises to feed us. God promises to clothe us. The Bible talks about God providing a roof over our head. God also cares about our physical needs. Well, let me ask you this question. How does God take care of our physical needs? More often than not, how does God feed us and clothe us and, and provide roofs over our head? How does he take care of our physical needs? He takes care of our physical needs through the Jareds of the world. He takes care of our physical needs through, quote-unquote, ordinary people doing, quote-unquote, ordinary things. You see, if all the Jareds of the world left their jobs to serve at a church full-time, None of us would have any place to live. And that's why Paul says what he says here in this passage. It is the Lord Jesus that you are serving. By doing what you are doing, you are fulfilling God's purposes for this world. And you are fulfilling the promises that God has made to take care of his children. And I remember, this is what I tried to get across to Jared in that breakfast we had a couple of years ago. I said, Jared, don't you understand? I said, the day that my wife and I closed escrow on our house, it was one of the top 10 most significant days in my life. I remember it like it was yesterday. When we found out from the real estate agent that we had gotten that house, immediately my wife and I, we left our little apartment in Costa Mesa where we were living. We got the key from our real estate agent and we drove to the house that was now ours. And we opened up the front door and I carried my wife across the threshold of our house and we walked throughout our house and we dreamed of all the possibilities and, and thought of all the memories that we would make there. And then you know what we did? We did something we were really excited about. 
we ordered delivery pizza for the first time to our new house, you know? Incidentally, it was also the last time we ordered delivery pizza to our house because I'm too cheap and so I always end up picking it up. But that time it was really exciting. And I remember as we got this pizza, we sat on the carpet of our living room because our house didn't have any furniture in it at that time. And as we ate that pizza, you know what my wife and I did? We prayed. And we thanked God for the blessing of that house. And there is not a week that does not go by where I do not stop and thank God for my house. I mean, the house that God has given us is one of the most tangible blessings I have ever received from him in my life. Do you know what that means? That means that whether they realize it or not, the person who was doing Jared's job 30 years ago when my house was built, guess what? They were doing the Lord's work. They were serving Jesus. They were helping God fulfill his promise of taking care of his children. They were serving Jesus. And by the way, so are you. It is because God wants justice in this world, brothers and sisters, that he calls people to be police officers and judges and lawyers. If you are in that line of work, you are doing the Lord's work. It is because God wants people to be taken care of in their retirement years. And it's because God wants people to be educated that he calls people to be financial analysts, to manage retirement portfolios, and to manage college funds. It's because God wants people to be provided for, that he calls some people to be used car salesmen so that people can afford a car to drive to a new job opportunity. It's because God knows how important and good and satisfying a good meal can be that he calls some people to be chefs and waiters and pizza delivery people and pizza who work at, people who work at supermarkets. And it's because God wants his children to grow up in loving, encouraging, nurturing environments that he calls some people to be full-time moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles and babysitters and you you know it, and I could go on, but hopefully you get the idea. I mean, can, can you imagine? Can you imagine if everybody quit their jobs to become a pastor? Do you imagine what a horrible world that would be? We wouldn't survive more than a few weeks in a world like that, right? No, listen, your work, what you do throughout the week has incredible value to God. It is the Lord Christ that you are serving. And that's my first encouragement to you out of this message. You want to live for Jesus in every area of your life? We need to change our perspective. And we need to realize that what we are doing are things that can be done in the name of Jesus. And so we need to connect what we are doing to God's larger purposes. And that's the first thing. And then once we've done that, the second thing is this. And for those of you looking at the clock, don't worry. The second and third things will go by much quicker than the first thing, okay? The second thing that we need to do is this. We need to perform things with excellence. We need to perform what we do with excellence. Again, verse 23, Paul says this. He says, whatever you do, and here's the key phrase. He says, work at it with all your heart. Literally, that reads, work at it with all your soul. Work at it with all your soul. And what does it mean to put your soul into something? It means to, to put your life into something. It means to work hard at something. And what Paul is telling us here is this. He's telling us one of the ways that we honor God, one of the ways that we do things in the name of Jesus is we have a commitment to excellence in what we do. That we're a good employee. We honor God when we work hard at what we do. In fact, reading this verse this past week, it reminded me, <coughs> excuse me, of one of the criticisms that we sometimes get as a church. 
I don't know if you know this, but one of the criticisms sometimes people give us as a church is especially in regards to our music. And they will say, well, you know, everything that you do on the stage, it's so polished. You musicians are so good at what they do. It's, it's obvious they practice. It's obviously that, that you rehearse what you're going to do before you put on a church service. And some people actually level that as a criticism against us. And I sort of shake my head at that criticism because I go, what's the alternative? To do things halfway? To do things with mediocrity? I mean, what are we doing up here? We're worshiping God. And yes, maybe we need to, less. absolutely we need to leave room for the spirit to move, but God also deserves that, that we work hard. God also deserves our best, doesn't he? Absolutely he does. That's what this verse says. But may I remind you, this verse is not just written to a group of pastors or church musicians. It's written to all of us. We honor God when we work hard at what we do, when we perform things with excellence. And I just want to tell you, you guys, this is one of the best ways to have a witness for God at our jobs. It is. This past week, to prepare for this message, I actually, I actually stopped at In-N-Out, you know, for research purposes. <laughs> and next to Chick-fil-A and next to In-N-Out, uh, or next to uh, McDonald's, uh, In-N-Out's probably my favorite fast food restaurant. And one of the things that you probably know about In-N-Out is that at the bottom of their cups and on most of their food packaging, In-N-Out actually has Bible verses. You see that one on the screen, the bottom of the cup, it has John 3.16 on it. And the reason why they do that is because In-N-Out is owned by a Christian family, and so they show that by putting Bible references on their packaging. But here's what I want you to observe, okay? In-N-Out is obviously very successful at what they do. Every time I drive by them, they have a really long line. But why is In-N-Out successful at what they do? Are they successful at what they do because they put Bible verses on their packaging? Absolutely not. I mean, if In-N-Out put Bible verses on their packaging, but they didn't make good food, nobody would go there. In-N-Out's not successful because they put Bible verses on their packaging. In-N-Out is successful because they make really good food. In-N-Out is successful because they have a commitment to excellence both in food and in their service. In fact, I came across this quote this past week. Look at what someone online said. They said this. They said, I trust In-N-Out so much that I don't even check my bag, and if they get my order wrong, I just assume they know what's best for me. (laughs) 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 That is why In-N-Out is so successful. And don't you see? It's because of In-N-Out's commitment to excellence that so many people go there. And therefore, it's because of In-N-Out's commitment to excellence that they're able to have an incredible witness for Jesus. And the same goes for us. Here's my second encouragement to you in 2020. You want to have an impact for Jesus at whatever you do throughout the week? Perform things with excellence. Do things well. You don't need a Bible verse in your cubicle. If you want to do that, that's great. But the best way to have a witness is just to do things really well. And so that's the second thing. We perform thing with, things with excellence. And the third and final thing is this. We reflect the character of Christ to everyone. If we want to bring Jesus into every area of our life, we reflect the character of Christ to everyone. A couple of weeks ago, my brother-in-law sent me a quote. He came across, across on Instagram, and he wanted my opinion on it. And the quote says this. We'll put it on the screen. Someone said, delete, unfollow, unfriend, block, erase, and disconnect from anyone and anything that robs you of your peace, love, and happiness, not just on social media, but in real life. It says, delete, unfollow, unfriend, block, erase, and disconnect from anyone and anything that robs you of your peace, love, and happiness, not just on social media, but in real life. 
So my brother-in-law sent that to me and he wanted to know my opinion on it. And so this is what I said back to him. I read that and I said, well, whoever gave that advice obviously doesn't have to work in an office with other people for a living. And I said, whoever gave that advice, I don't think they even get out of the house all that much, right? Because the reality is it is impossible to get rid of all the people who quote unquote rob us of our peace, love, and happiness. I mean, those type of people are all over the place. It's impossible to do that. And not only is it impossible to do that, I don't think that's what we Christians are supposed to do. I think we Christians have a special call to people in those categories, to difficult people in our life. And what is it? We're to respond the way that Jesus responded to those people, with love and kindness and compassion. Listen to this passage, just a few verses earlier than what we've already looked at. Colossians 3, 12 through 14, Paul says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. That's how we're supposed to respond to the difficult people in our life. And that's my third and final encouragement to you. Change your perspective towards the difficult people in 2020. In fact, when you encounter someone who is difficult, what I'd encourage you to do is to actually pray a prayer and have the prayer be something like this. God, would you use this person to teach me to be more like Jesus? God, would you use this person to show me how to be more like Jesus? I'll tell you what, God loves to answer those prayers. And if you're serious about praying that, 2020 will be a year of incredible growth for you. So this is how we do it. This is how we involve Jesus in every area of our life. We connect what we already are doing to God's purposes. We perform things with excellence. We reflect the character of Christ to everyone. And I want you to observe something. Look at the first letter of each of these three things. What's the acronym here? CPR. CPR, and I like that. Because what do you do when you perform CPR in someone? You breathe life into them, right? And as we live out these three things right here, that's what I believe God is gonna do. God is gonna breathe life into our very souls. You know, I really believe men and women, and this is just a personal belief, but I believe it pretty strongly. I really believe that we are on the verge of an amazing revival breaking out in Orange County. I'm just seeing God do amazing things in the churches in this county. I am seeing people take their faith more seriously than I ever have seen before in our life. And I believe that we are in the midst of an incredible revival. And you know how we're gonna get over the, the hump? You know how this revival is really going to come? I believe this revival is not going to come by a bunch of people quitting their jobs and becoming pastors. Okay, the United States has, has as many pastors as it needs. So please, unless you're called to be a pastor, don't be a pastor, okay? Because that's not how revival is gonna come. You know how revival is gonna come? Revival is gonna come through plumbers, and it's gonna come through lawyers, and it's gonna come through teachers, and it's gonna come through police officers, and it's gonna come through people who, who work at department stores, and it's gonna come through, 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 through people who work in, in, in supermarkets, and it's gonna come through people who drive for a living, and it's gonna come through full-time moms and dads, and it's gonna come through all these people, all these Christians living in ordinary, quote-unquote, ordinary jobs in their, quote-unquote, ordinary lives but it's gonna come through people living in these different places, realizing that they are not living for themselves, but that they are living for, for Jesus. 
It's going to come through people realizing that in every single moment, whether they see it or not, God is working and God has a purpose in those moments. And it's going to come through people connecting what they are doing to the larger purpose that God has for us. That's how this revival is going to come. And that is what God has called each and every one of us in this church to do. And that is my prayer for you in 2020. My prayer for all of us in 2020 is that God would begin to breathe life into your jobs, into your homes, into your family. And that 2020 is the year of the abundant life that Jesus has promised for us. It's exactly what we said at the beginning of this message, right? If we want all Jesus has for us, we need to let Jesus have all of us. This week, Friends Church, let's reflect that in everything we do. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me, please, as we close? <clears throat> let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Father God, um, I thank you for the truth of Colossians 3.17, God. And I thank you for the truth looked at from a slightly different angle than I looked at it in this message. And that is just the awareness, God, that everywhere we go, you're with us, Lord. God, the fact that whether we realize it or not, when we leave this place, when we leave our Bible studies, when we say amen at the end of our daily prayers, we do not leave you behind. But your son Jesus goes with us, God. And that there is a purpose and there is, there, there is his presence in every single moment, Father. And I believe that as we open up our eyes to see what Jesus has for us in every single moment, to see his presence in every single moment, God, that's when not only do we change, but that's when the world around us changes. So God, I, I pray for every single one of us in this church, Lord. I pray that this would be the year where we begin to open up our eyes to see that what we, we do throughout the week, Lord, we are serving you. And God, we would have more of an awareness of that and we would connect what we're doing to, to your purposes. God, I, I pray that this would be the year that we work hard at what we're doing because we know it pleases you when we do that. And Father, in every situation to every person, we would just reflect the character of Christ, Lord. And God, if every single one of us in this room, or I, I want to say it this way, when every single one of us in this room takes that seriously, because I know you're working in this church and I know that's going to happen. When every single one of us in this room takes this seriously, God, there's just no telling. Uh, there's just no telling the impact that we can have for your kingdom. And so, Father, help us to see that even when we can't see it, Father, you are working, Lord. And help us to just live that out every single moment. God, we, we just love you so much for all that you have given us. We thank you for the many blessings that you have for us. And God, may we always live lives that are worthy of you and the calling that you have placed among us, Lord. And we ask all of this in your son's name. Amen.